Uh, Matthew 5.13 says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and, and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Thank you, Jonathan, and thank you for leading that beautiful music. Those are wonderful songs. Really, the core of our faith is encompassed in many of those verses. They're just beautiful. Even to read in the morning into your devotions, you can get a lot of blessing from them. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for a beautiful day. Lord, thank you for the rain this morning. You are the author of all life, and spring is upon us. It's so beautiful outside. All the leaves, all the trees, all the flowers. God, you are very good. And Lord, that you would bless our time together in your word as we look at these verses from Matthew chapter 5. Father, we always want you to remember and be thankful that you sent Jesus, your son, to die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus, we thank you for being obedient to go to the cross to do your Father's will, that your Holy Spirit is with us today. And Lord, guide my tongue as I speak from your word. Lord, that your word would be fresh in the minds of each one of us. And Lord, that each one of us would receive a blessing from your word because it's living and powerful and true. God, we just want to say we love you today, and we want to honor you and bring glory to your kingdom. Amen. As Jonathan just read, we are going to look at these four verses from Matthew chapter 5, and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, the most powerful message that was ever preached. The two focal points for these four verses are salt and light. And God says we are both the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And when you think about salt, it is the most common element in nature. I was looking at some statistics, and they said if you drained all of the oceans and dried all of the salt out of the oceans, you could take and have a band around the equator, a loop around the equator that would be a mile wide, and as much as 100 feet tall. That is a lot of salt. So salt is very common. And yet God says we are the salt of the earth. God wants us to be the common denominator in society. He didn't say only kings, only presidents have the opportunity to share the gospel. No, he said all of us, which is as common as salt, have given the privilege and the opportunity to preach the Word of God, to share the Word of God. Also, if you look at light, light is also very common. We look in this room and there's many lights that are turned on today on each one of the levels going up. A light is only functional when it's turned on and when the light is coming through. And if you look at a simple analogy, the Holy Spirit would be the electricity, because that light doesn't work until you hit the electricity switch, until it's turned on. And the same way with us. We are really not useful in God's kingdom until the Holy Spirit is working through us, and then we become the light of the world. It's because of the Holy Spirit living in us 
Because the Bible teaches us that God is light and in him is no darkness. But when we become saved, our body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit and he indwells us. Let's look at the first point on the first page here. Salt penetrates, cleanses, flavors, and preserves. So salt has many common traits that we can take and look at. If we have a wound, many years ago they would clean a wound with salt. I wouldn't advise it today because it's painful and there's many other ways we can do it, but it does have the purification quality. And the same would be said of us as we go into the world. As we share the gospel, the gospel is the power of God to be saved. And once a person is saved, they move out of the sin world of darkness and into light. And their soul is preserved from sinning. Also, salt will cleanse. It's a great way to clean things. And the gospel message that we share with people is a way for people to clean up their life. And even us Christians, we need to be cleaned when we sin. But God is faithful and just to cleanse us when we confess. Also, salt adds flavor. And that's what we need to do in society. The society that we live in today is wicked. We just need to face that fact. But Christians, because we have the Lord as our resource and our foundation, we can share with the world the truth that is in the world. As you know, several weeks ago I went to Nepal, and one of the pastors that I was dealing with, he became a friend of mine. That was the first time we had met, but we shared many times together. He was saying that when he talks with government officials, that government officially is now communism because of their latest election, but even the communists are primarily Hindu. And when he talks to these government officials, they know he's a Christian. And he says, what I'm offering you is the truth. And really, the Bible is the truth. The Word of God is the truth. The devil is the father of all lies. Most of the world out there has bought into the lie. They're rejecting the truth of the gospel. And also, salt preserves. When you have meat or fish, for example, and you want it to last more than a few days, you can preserve it with salt. And the same way can be said in the spiritual realm. Because we are the salt of the earth, we can help preserve souls against eternal judgment in the lake of fire. So let's look at some of these points for Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. How many of you people in this room grew up where you had the old stone pot with salt in it? Anybody? It was common many years ago. That salt would last. The family would use it. But as that container would become more empty, the salt in the bottom became hard, and sometimes it would absorb the moisture in the air, and it lost its taste. It really isn't good for anything. But what the Lord was saying is that if you had a pathway, and it's no different now, weeds grow up in the pathway. In fact, just before I went on my trip, I sprayed my blacktop driveway because weeds are starting to grow along the edge and it'll break up the blacktop. So I needed to kill those weeds to preserve my pathway. The same thing in the Bible times. When that salt lost its savor, 
they would take it and put it on the pathway to kill the weeds. And then it was good for nothing but to be trodden underfoot, as this verse says. Leviticus 2.13. This is talking about all of the sacrifices, and Moses is telling them how to do the sacrifices. And he's saying here in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, every sacrifice required salt. Let's read it. And every oblation of thy meat offering shall thou season with salt. Neither shall thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. Isn't that interesting? We are the salt of the earth. And all of our offerings that we offer before the Lord are going to be tested with fire. A lost person, somebody who's not saved, can never offer a sacrifice that's acceptable to God. Only we that are the salt of the earth can offer a sacrifice that's acceptable. And this is a picture of Jesus going to the cross. Now do you notice it doesn't say that there would be leaven or honey added to it. Leaven is a picture of sin that was not acceptable. And honey, although it was sweet, was not accepted. That is also a picture in today's world Many people preach a false gospel. They preach a gospel that is sweet to the ear. It tickles the ear. For example, you can believe in Jesus and you don't need to repent. That's a false gospel. It tickles the ears. But salt is preaching all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and is preaching hell and repentance. And it's, of course, preaching love and the heaven in Revelation. But we have to preach the full gospel. And that's why God required salt in the sacrifices. Matthew 4.17. From the time that Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When John the Baptist announced Jesus coming and his public ministry, he said, Repent. Jesus' first message, he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We should never lose sight of the fact that salvation involves repentance. Mark, chapter 9, verse 48 and 49. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. We know that this verse is speaking of hell. It says, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. But look at what it says. It goes, for everyone shall be salted with fire. Everyone's sacrifices will be salted with this salt. They're going to be tested. The Bible says God is a consuming fire. Everything that we do is going to be tested with fire. Only that which we have done for the kingdom, for God's glory, is going to come out of that fire. Most will burn up as wood, hay, and stubble. Everything we've done in the flesh for ourselves, But what we have done for the Lord will survive that and will come out as precious stones. And that will be our reward into eternity. The next verse, Mark 9.50. Salt is good. But if salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith will it be seasoned? Have salt in yourselves 
and have peace one with another. On Friday night, I was at the Green Rock Jail, and we were going through what we had discussed several weeks ago about anger and wrath. And one of the men raised his hand, and he was sharing that his brother is lost and that he can't spend more than five minutes with his brother, and they get into an argument. It's like fire and ice. They cannot coexist. One of the verses that we were looking at here is, if you're the salt of the earth, this verse says, have peace one with another. There's another verse that says, let the grace of God be on your tongue. That was the advice given to this man, is that he has to, as a Christian, have grace on his tongue and to pray for his brother to be saved, to be reconciled with Christ, then he will be reconciled with him in his relationship. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And that he died for all, that they which live through should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. This is the reason why Christ saved us. This is why he calls us the salt of the earth. He died for all, but only the Christians receive salvation and become the salt of the earth. And it says, they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. We are no longer serving ourselves when we become a Christian. Our priority is to be a servant, or in the Greek, a doulos, it means slave, a bond slave for Christ. And that's really what we want to become as we serve our king on a daily basis. Colossians 4, 6, and this is the verse that we discussed on Friday night with this gentleman at Green Rock. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Do you notice it says seasoned with salt? Why? Salt penetrates, cleanses, it flavors, and preserves. Many times when I go into an important business meeting, I will pray this verse. Lord, give me grace in my tongue that I know how to answer every situation that's going to come up in this meeting. And so many times I've walked out of a meeting and I've said, thank you, Lord. He has answered that prayer. He will give that grace to you when you pray that prayer as you witness to perhaps a son or a daughter, a granddaughter, a grandson, other people in this retirement community that, that are residents with you. God will give you the grace on your tongue so you know how to answer every person that you deal with. Let's look at the second point. Christians are to shine the victorious gospel light throughout the world. Notice Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Each year when I go to the Amazon in November, we fly into Bogota. And Bogota is 8,000 feet up in the mountains. You can see it far off. Sometimes we actually drive into the mountains beyond Bogota because my friend's wife is from that area. It's about 11,000 feet. The air is very thin up there, and as you walk, you get out of breath quickly. But it's beautiful. You can see that city on the mountaintop as you drive down the mountainside, and as you go past the city of Bogota, it's about 8 million people. There's a lot of lights at nighttime. You can see that city afar off. Here in America, we have some history. 
when the Puritans came here, they settled in the Massachusetts area. One of the Puritans wrote about and preached about the city on the hill from this verse. And the city that was referenced was Boston, Massachusetts. For about 50 years, Boston was known as the city on the hill. And then, of course, John Kennedy, he mentioned in his speech the city on the hill. And then President Reagan, he made it very famous, the city on the hill, in his messages. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 says, But the path of the just is the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is darkness. They know not at what they stumble. So the path of the just, if you're saved today, you're one of the just. You're justified. Your path is as the shining light. In the spirit world, you are the shining light, the city on the hill. You're the light of the world. It's contrasted with the wicked who walk in darkness. And when they stumble over the situations of life, the things that draw them into lifestyles of sin, they don't know why they stumble. But we need to shine the gospel light. This verse says, more until the perfect day. The perfect day is when we pass into eternity with a glorified body or when the Lord comes back and we rule with him for the thousand years. But we are to serve the Lord by ministering the gospel to the lost because we are the light of the world. John 1, 5. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Jesus, being the light of the world, he shines into the darkness. But the lost, it says they comprehend it. They don't understand on the spiritual level in the spiritual realm that Jesus is God. They don't really want to hear it. John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. When we became saved, we became part of the light of the world. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Jesus, while he's saying, I am the light of the world, because the Holy Spirit now dwells in us, we share that privilege of being part of the light of the world. Look what Jesus says here. He says, he that follows me shall not walk in darkness. And what that's saying is, anybody who doesn't follow Jesus is walking in darkness. Perhaps even a Christian who gets off of that foreordained path that God has given for him, when they fall into sin, patterns of sin, for example, King David, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, they are no longer walking in the light. That doesn't mean they lost their salvation. They're still saved. But they need to repent from that life of sin that they're walking in, and then they will again be in the path of sin. But they need to confess and repent from that sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? When we are fellowshipping with people that are lost, we're unequally yoked in that friendship. If 
a lost person marries somebody who's saved, that's an unequally yoked marriage. And as our pastor was saying this morning in his message, if a Christian marries a person who's not saved, they're sinning. Because the Lord's command is, don't be unequally yoked. Right here from this verse. The Lord is saying, what fellowship has goodness with evil? What communion, what togetherness has light with darkness? When you hit the light switch, that darkness flees. The light dominates. Light always dominates. And in the spirit world, God is light. And that darkness will be consumed by the light. It will be burned up because God is that consuming fire. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4 to 6. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Let us watch and be sober. This is talking about our life of service to the Lord. The fields are white out to harvest. And the harvest day is during the daylight. And that's the picture. We walk in spiritual light. And what we need to do is don't sleep. Don't be asleep at the wheel. We need to go and work for the Lord in the harvest. Also, we are to watch for his second coming and to be sober. Sober, not necessarily drunk with wine, but to be temperate in our lifestyle, to be balanced as we serve the Lord. 2 Peter 1, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. We have a more sure word of prophecy because the Lord has already gone to the cross and he's resurrected and he's already ascended into heaven. Peter is writing this after all of these events. And he's saying, you do well to take heed to this gospel message as a light that shines in the dark place, the dark world of sin. Until the day dawn, until the Lord comes back. That's our job. Until the Lord calls us home or until he comes at his second coming, we need to be about serving him in his kingdom. Why? We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's kind of our mission statement. The third point today, the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Why should we share the gospel? Because that's how people get saved. It's the power of God unto salvation. Matthew 5.15 Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. It would be silly if we were camping, for example, where there was no electricity, and we lit a lantern, and we were in a little cabin, and that lantern was providing enough light for everybody to function, maybe to make a meal, get ready for bed. But it would be silly if we took that lamp and put it under a bushel basket so nobody could see. 
Well, God is saying here, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. But they put it on a candlestick. They elevate it. They put it up high so that the light goes all over. And the same thing with us. We want to give light to all that are in our house. Who is your house? It's your family. It's your spouse, your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren, perhaps even your great-grandchildren. My mom has great-grandchildren. So she still is a testimony even to the third and the fourth generation. Luke 8.16 No man, when he has lighted a candle, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a candlestick that they which enter in may see the light. It's kind of funny when you read it. Who would put a candle under their bed? <laughs> Unless you wanted to be warm for about five minutes. It sounds like it would start a fire. But the point is, the light that we have, don't hide it. Don't be afraid to share the gospel. Don't be intimidated by people that might reject what you're saying. There's always the next person. People will reject the gospel because their hearts are hard. But for every person who rejects it, there's another soul that's thirsty for the water of life. John 3.18 He that believes on Jesus is not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This verse is teaching us that everybody who doesn't believe is already condemned. Everybody who has rejected the gospel of Christ is already condemned. And the reason being, we are born under Adam's sin. Nobody is born saved and then lost and then the opportunity to be saved again. We come into the world lost. So we are already condemned until we're saved. And that's what this is saying. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. Let's look at the next verse, John 3.19, because this explains what the condemnation is. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. The reason people are condemned into hell and then after the great white thrown into the lake of fire is because they reject this light that has come into the world. Jesus is the light. And this grace of God that brings salvation, it has appeared to all men. Everybody has heard the gospel message at some time in their life. But it says men love darkness rather than light. They love their evil deeds more than serving the king. And look at John 3.20. It explains why. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Reproved means they're made manifest, they're exposed. And do you see what this says? Everyone that does evil hates God. Because God is light. Everyone that do, doeth evil hateth the light. Everybody out there in Lynchburg, Virginia today who's not saved, they hate God. That is a harsh reality. And remember, the sugar-coated gospel will not say that truth. 
but the salt of the earth gospel that preaches repentance, hell, salvation, justification, and also heaven and love in John 3.16. The total gospel will share this truth because God is saying it right here in John chapter 3. Philippians 2, verse 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Why does God want us to tr truly preach and share the full gospel? Because he wants you to stand at the judgment day blameless and harmless. If I were to tell and preach a false gospel... For example, if I said, all that you need to do is believe Jesus and you'll go to heaven and not say you need to repent and change your lifestyle, that would be a false gospel. I would be held account to that. In fact, the Bible holds teachers and preachers to a higher standard. If I preached a false gospel or knowingly told a lie about the word of God, God forbid that I would ever do that. I would be blamed and be held harmful before God. The reason goes on in this verse, we are in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That's the definition of America today. America is a perverse and crooked nation. God wants us to shine as lights in this dark world. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us as an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is saying there's two groups of people here. There are people that are serving Christ, and he's saying you mark those men. And they become an example for you. You can walk in their footprints. In fact, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But he says, I have to share with you, and I'm crying, I'm weeping over this. There are some that are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Those are the false preachers and the false teachers. They are the wolves in sheep's clothing. Let's look at the fourth point today. Christians glorify God through an honest conversation and good works. And the meaning here for conversation isn't just the words you speak. It's your lifestyle. It's your testimony. It's what people think of you when they hear your name in their mind. Oh, Martha. Oh, Mary. Oh, John. Oh, Jonathan. When people hear that name, they think of somebody. We all have a reputation. Hopefully, our reputation is honoring to God. Let's look at Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God wants us to serve his kingdom and that people will recognize our works for his kingdom. Now, we're not doing it so people go, oh, what a nice person he is. That's not our motivation. Our motivation is to bring glory to the Lord. Because 
at one time in the future, after the judgment, we're going to enjoy God forever. But while we're here on the earth, we have a mission to serve him. God is saying, let your light shine before men so that they can see your good works. Again, not to bring glory to yourself, but to bring glory to God. And many times, when I talk with a godly man or a godly woman, the impression in my mind is motivation. When I was in Nepal, those pastors that I met with, they don't have cars. They walk. In fact, the village we were in, there's a rhinoceros that comes and walks right down the village street. They don't bother him, and he doesn't bother you if you don't bother him. I was hoping he would come down the street when I was visiting, but he didn't. He didn't show up. Maybe he heard the Americans were coming, and he stayed in the jungle. But the point being, these people are serving the Lord, and they have minimal things. Their incomes are small. And the food that they served us was the best they had. It was rice, and they would kill a chicken, and they would barbecue the chicken, and they would serve us some Nepali tea that was very spicy. It was delicious. And yet that water maybe wasn't the cleanest water. But God protected us. None of us were sick. They were giving us the best that they had. Shouldn't we do the same for the Lord living in America? We have it so much easier to be able to serve the Lord. We get sick, we take a medicine. I received a, an email from the pastor down in the Amazon. He was supposed to meet some appointments and he couldn't go. And the reason being, he had an earache. And for over two weeks, he couldn't go to the doctor. And it was something simple where a medicine would have healed his ear. But he didn't have enough money to go to the doctor. In America, we don't give that a second thought. We just go to the doctor and get the medicines. We're so blessed. Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles, praise God, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Here again, God is light. And he shed his light abroad, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles also. Because of that, we can come into the kingdom. But also because of that, we can share that gospel message to any person on the street. Matthew 6.1 Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. So the reason we serve the Lord is not to get alms, not to get prestige, not to get praise from people, not to make a big salary like some of those TV preachers. That's not the reason why we serve the Lord. We serve the Lord because we want to glorify Him in His kingdom. James 2.17 Even so faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. Many people say they believe in Jesus and they say they're saved and they have assurance that they're going to heaven. And yet those same people are going to say, 
in amazement, Lord, didn't we prophesy and do all these miracles in your name, even casting out demons? And God's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. They never had a personal relationship. And they will have no testimony of where they serve the Lord as true Christians. They were doing it in their own flesh. They were doing it as a works religion, a works base that will never earn them salvation. James 2.18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. So James says, Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So James was making it very clear. There were people that were telling him in the first century, Oh yeah, we're saved. We believe in Jesus. Perhaps they even seen him walk on the earth for 40 days. And they knew he was raised from the dead. And James is saying, your faith is dead. You're not going to heaven. I'm going to show you my faith by my works. I'm serving the king. Not to be saved. My works are not saving me. But my works are evidence that I love God. And that's why I'm serving him. Because I love him. I love my family. And now I've been blessed with four grandchildren. Isaac was born while I was gone. So he came over for the first time on Monday night for our family get-together. He's a precious little baby. I love my family. The works that I've done for my family over the years, it isn't to earn some respect or adulation from them. It's because I love them. And the same thing should be why we serve God. Because we love God. 1 Peter 2.12 Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your good works, which they shall behold. Glorify God in the day of visitation. Here again, Peter is stressing our conversation, our lifestyle, not just the things we say, but the things that we do. They should be honest among the Gentiles. If there is somebody who says they're a Christian, but they're living in adultery, what kind of a testimony do they have? If somebody is a backstabber or a gossiper, and then they tell somebody, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, what kind of a testimony do they have? They need to be honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be, by your good works, shall behold the glory of God. God is saying in this verse, when you serve him in truth, when you serve him in honesty, people may still speak evil against you, but it's not going to be negative on your account. You're still serving the Lord. 1 John 3, 14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abides in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Here's another test. If we're saved, we will love our brother. But if we can hate our brother, God says you're not saved. And then you're only fooling yourselves. Know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And this doesn't only mean physical murder, where you shoot somebody or stab somebody. Many times, we murder people in our mind, or we can be evil to somebody in our attitude to them. 
or the words we speak. We need to be very careful because once it's spoken, we can't get it back. And the Bible says we have to give an account for every idle word we speak, therefore, in the day of judgment. Romans chapter 13, 11, and 12. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. This is a very interesting verse. And what it's speaking to is our day is almost spent. And as I look around the room, some of you have more gray hair than I have. <laughs> when we look at our life, let's say we live to be 90 or 100. We can look at our life timeline and know that the night is well spent. We're closer to the Lord than we were to our birthday. And that's what this verse is saying. It's time to awake out of sleep. We don't have that many days or years left. We need to serve the Lord with the little time God has given us. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. My grandma led me to the Lord when I was a little boy. So if you do the math, I've been saved over 50 years. I'm not going to live another 50 years. That means my salvation is nearer than when I first believed. And when I look around the room, except for maybe you, Jonathan, most of us have been saved longer than we have left before we're going to meet them. And we do have that appointment with the king. Let us, therefore, cast off the works of darkness. Darkness still traps us. All of us are tainted with sin. We have a fallen sin nature. And every day, we do things that we regret. Cast off those works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. God has given us a way to battle in the spirit realm. We need to put on the armor of God, the shield of faith, the truth on our shoes, the sword of the Bible, the word of God, the helmet of salvation. We can protect ourselves and actually go on the offensive with the sword, with the word of God, and with prayer. We can accomplish much in the spirit realm by having a productive prayer life. So that was the message today on what the Bible calls us, we are the salt of the earth, and we are the light of the world. Hopefully, it's clear that God has also given each one of us soldiers in this room marching orders. Every one of us in this room has a mission, and it's not fulfilled until our day is completely spent and the Lord takes us home. And the mission that all of us have, go ye therefore and teach all nations, but it starts right here at Bentley Commons. And it's right out there in Lynchburg. You don't have to go to Nepal to share the word. You can do it right here. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the word. And Lord, we're going to have a closing song here with Jonathan in a minute. But we just want to praise you, Jesus, for going to the cross, for bearing my sins, for bearing the sins of mankind, and you do love us so much, Lord, that you were willing to die. And we don't understand how a perfect, sinless God would be willing to take on the darkness 
of sin, but you did, Lord, and we praise you for that. And Holy Spirit, that you would be with each one of us this week. Lord, give us an unction. Give us an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who's lost or perhaps somebody who needs some direction in their life from the word. And Lord, many of the senior saints in this room, they have decades of experience of walking with you. And Lord, that you would show yourself great in their lives. I thank you for the, all of the salvation that you've given to each one of our souls. We love you, God. Thank you, Abba Father. Amen. Turn to 307. It's called Send the Light. 307. Called Send the Light. There's a call comes ringing all the restless waves. Send the light. Send the light. There are souls to rescue. There are souls to save. Send the light. Send the light. Send the light. The blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light. The blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. We have heard the Macedonian call today. Send the light. Send the light. And the golden offering at the cross we lay. Send the light. Send the light. Send the light. The blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light. The blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Amen. Well, I hope that that tune, that song, those words stay in your mind uh, throughout the week as we to go throughout our different paths. Send the light. We are the light. Well, let's pray real quick and we'll be dismissed. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises, the reminders, the edification. Father, I pray that you would help us to, as Mr. Jim said, as light, that we would take our marching orders and that we would live for Christ and uh, that you would send us into the world and it starts with our next door neighbor. And I uh, just pray that you would help us to remember that and to help us to be in tune with you so that you can prompt it to the Holy Spirit to be sending the light and shining for other people. Father God, thank you for the faithful message of, of uh, Mr. Jim and how he brings that to us each week. Thank you for all these saints. Bless them. Just thank you so much for all you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was good to be with you all this week. You are dismissed. And until next time.